Thanks for tuning in to episode 10 of Cop and Daughter. I'm Cop. And I'm Daughter. So this week we are talking about a Netflix series called Don't Pick Up the Phone. Yes. Do you want to kind of tell us what this series is about? Yes. So this docu-series follows the story of a hoax caller um, who is based in Panama City, Florida. But he was calling fast food restaurants around the U.S. um, and would portray himself as a police officer, would give the description of an employee. I think a couple times it was the description matched, Mm -hmm. like a customer that was eating at the restaurant. And the um, whoever was on the phone, generally a manager, was then coerced into completing a strip search on this employee or customer. Um, and sometimes the person on the other end of the phone would realize, like, this is not right, and they would hang up, and then other times um, it would go as far as, like, sexual abuse taking place. Um, and so the Netflix series starts with um, the case of Luis Ogborn. <clears throat> and in April of 2004, um, she had just started working at a McDonald's and was called into the back office. And the store manager, you know, was led to believe that a customer had, like, made a police report that this that Luis had stolen money from her purse, and so the store manager needed to complete a strip search on her to make sure that there wasn't any like money residue or whatever. Um, and so, series of events, Luis goes through this traumatic event, and then when they realize it was a hoax, she um, files a lawsuit against. McDonald's, and that was kind of where the don't pick up the phone, I think, um, picked up the story and led to the case. But Luis's case took place in April of 2004, and they later figured out through detective work that this um, hoax caller had been participating in this act for 12 years prior. Prior to 2004? Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. So there's like tens of cases that... I think at one point they had found like 73 cases. It might be more. I can't remember what the final count was, but yes. Yeah. So this went on for years. And like you said, it it probably, if it, if there's 70 some cases, um, he may have made hundreds of calls, you know, people Mm -hmm. not picking up the phone, not engaging with it. And so one of the things about this story that I've kind of one it's it's interesting in and of itself but two I also think there's just a lot of what happens with doing law enforcement investigations mm-hmm. and being a police officer uh that are kind of um encapsulated in this and so um a lot of them never got reported like yes, they never yeah. they never went anywhere. Right. Um, what, why do you think maybe they didn't go anywhere? I feel like you would have to do with kind of the embarrassment or the shame. 
Okay, so some people didn't report it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say if they report it to the police oh, oh, and gotcha. the police no no, I think that's I think you're right there. I think I think some of it it never got that far. I think some if it did get that far they were embarrassed to report it or they didn't know to report it. Right. Yeah. And so let's say it does get to the point where it goes to the police and the police don't necessarily inv- I mean cuz one of the things that happens in this is good police work and mm-hmm. I'll go into that a little bit as well. But why do you think somebody like a police officer might not investigate this on the front end? I th- mm. I mean they might take a report. Right. Like so the person reports that this happens. I feel but, like it could just, you know, it's not like a super pressing situation. Right. Like, and I think if it's not, you know, if it's a one-time report and it's not happening over and over in your city, mm-hmm. like you might not think twice about it. Like someone, it is a prank call. Like, yeah. what are you going to do about a prank call? Yeah, so that's I, I I do I think that's kind of like the first thing is is you know this guy was calling all over the United States, so they mm-hmm. show different maps, and he's clearly I mean calling up to like Montana, right, places like that, and he's calling to small towns, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I think one of the first things is, is I think some police probably just like chalk this up to it's a prank call, yeah, and maybe even a little bit of an attitude of like why did you fall for it like yeah that sort of a thing, um. And so I guess that was kind of my my second question for you is is like did you at any point go like how did people fall for this? Uh, yeah. I mean within like the first well we picked this initially cuz we were kind yeah. of trying to get <laughs> not lighthearted cuz I'm not sure We're talking that any about true crime. Is, yeah. yeah. So true crime's never going to be But just something not as heavy as all the murder cases that we've been talking about and then within like the first 2 minutes of the episode they're talking about this girl getting sexually assaulted by her store manager's fiance. Yeah. It's not even her store manager. Yeah. And so at first it was very much like, I, I don't know how you could be on the other end of this and actually think a police officer is telling you to do these things. Right. And I kind of get from Louis. Luis, right? Yeah, like the Her, victim, the the, 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 yes. the people that get strip searched. Yes, like you've got a presumed authority figure on the phone, and then you've got like a your boss essentially yeah. telling you. This. So, so from their standpoint, I do get it. It's, yes, it's but the it's, people that are like managers of a, a restaurant that you're like, really, right? So that at first was very hard for me to be like empathetic towards going through that. But then they compare it, um, they kind of talk about the psychology of it, Mm -hmm. um, and they referred to this one experiment that had been done um, where there were like three people a part of the experiment, and there was an actor, the person who was like actually like being experimented on, and then the person conducting the, the experiment. And so the like civilian person comes in to do the experiment and they're told to ask these questions to um, this other individual, which they don't know, but that's the paid actor. Mm -hmm. And every time they get an answer wrong, they have to give them an electric shock and the electric shock continually gets worse and worse and worse. And 
what they're trying to figure out in the experiment is how do people, like, will people follow through with the electric shock when the person on the other side of the wall is, like, screaming, but the authoritarian figure, the person conducting the experiment, is like, no, you have to shock them. And majority of the people in the experiment continued to shock the person, even though you can clearly tell that they're, like, distressed. Yeah. And so I think there is something about if you think that there's an authoritarian figure telling you to do telling it. you to do something, you almost like have to weigh your option of like, well, what's going to be worse, me going through with this and following their orders mm-hmm. or going against authority? And yeah. so I think it's easy to say like, oh, I wouldn't fall for that, but yeah. So it's called the Milgram experiment. Yeah, and it actually started in the '60s. And he ended up publishing like in early 60s and then again kind of uh, discussing his research a little bit deeper in the early 70s. So, yeah, so this is, um, you know, even kind of going back to like how did the Holocaust happen? Mm-hmm. You know, how did people do what they did there? And so, yeah, so there's this this psychology of when an authority figure tells you to do something, like you kind of have this – thought of like, this must be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I, I, I guess the, the, the second piece of this is, is a little bit of like, I could see as a police officer uh, sort of being like, one, it's a prank and two, why, like, why did you yeah. do this? Like, right. um, and then interestingly enough, I think like eight different managers ended up getting charged with some sort of, mm-hmm sexual assault or something like that because yeah. i i mean again i know there's a study for it and i know it's easy to look at things from the outside when it's not really you but you would think at some point this is not right right and that was my especially when it starts coming to touching genitals yeah and performing sexual acts and spanking somebody yes. i mean like that to me was like uh, like there was one individual who was interviewed. He was a store manager. I texted you and I was like, oh, he breaks my heart. Like, yeah, you can just tell that he is so like remorseful and really was like, I don't, you can correct me if I'm remembering this wrong, but he, I don't think he got as far as like touching. I don't think so either. And so that for me was like, okay, like you, what you did wasn't right, yeah. but you, like clued in yeah. and was like, I'm not going to do that. But then when you look at like the first story where the store manager's fiance, I mean, leads, <laughs> lets this girl perform oral sex on him. Yeah. Like ha- I don't, <laughs> that I cannot With his my- manager girlfriend walking in and out yes, of the office. Like- I just like that to me is like, how do you not, I don't know. I, again, in the moment, who knows? Like, yeah. we all have fight, flight, freeze response. Yeah. It's hard to say, but I don't think that no matter who was telling me to do that, I could do that. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. So the other thing that I find interesting in this is, or, or, or my recollection is, is that, you know, I was a police officer in the early 2000s as well, and the internet was starting to boom, mm-hmm. and... Phone calls, like there weren't laws on the books mm. for this. For I didn't even like, think about that. Yeah. So, so telephone in Kansas, there's there's tele at that time it was telephone harassment. Um, 
but even in that is, you know, it, it wouldn't meet the, the, the requirements mm. of this. And then the other thing that was happening was, um, people would, would call over state lines. They were doing this. Yeah. You know, the person is not in this, in, in the same state. Uh, a lot of times it was people overseas too. So there was a big Nigerian uh, group, which the FBI, the feds actually ended up oh. <laughs> infiltrating that and getting that, um, resolved, which anyway, my, my point being was, is at this particular time, if this was occurring in the late nineties and the early two thousands, um, even now, I don't know that there's necessarily laws on the book. Like, what do mm-hmm. you charge somebody with? Right. Um, and I think that was, like, kind of ultimately what happened. Like, yeah. they didn't, they, they didn't have identified a suspect, and then when it went to trial, they didn't have anything. It w- it wasn't that, like, beyond a reasonable doubt right. type of yeah. situation. Yeah. And so, he was ruled not guilty and yeah. let go. It, 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 and so that's that's my thing. I'm guessing by state statute, like to say somebody committed a sexual battery or sexual assault or mm-hmm. or whatever it was that they would have used for where Louis or not Louise, but um, where they ultimately I don't even remember where they ultimately tried him. I know he was from Panama City, but they extradited him back to Georgia. Maybe I don't. Oh yeah, remember. I can't remember what. I don't remember where they took him back to or North Carolina. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I, I feel it's like it was the south, yeah, east. So anyway. So, so yeah, you, you've got your suspect in one place, you have your victims in another, uh, clearly when they went down to Panama city, the district attorney in Panama city was like, we don't have a crime here, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of a sexual battery. Um, I, I'm guessing that most states have a impersonating an officer, um, law on the books, but that's not always a felony. Like right. it's, and that is what I, it, he was arrested for falsely impersonating a police officer and soliciting sodomy and faced up to 15 years in prison. Um, and then his lawyer argued that he wasn't smart enough to fool that many people over that many years. And the jury agreed. So that, I mean, that is what he was. Yeah. And so, so the, the soliciting over the phone, I think that's going to be very hard yeah. to get somebody convicted for. I did, I did half expect them to say, like not guilty on the sexual assault stuff and then guilty on the impersonating mm-hmm. an officer type thing. Yeah. And, but even in that, the punishment for that probably would have been minimal. Um, yeah. So I, I personally was shocked that there was nothing that he was charged with. Yeah. And you know, maybe that came down to just the lack of evidence, but that really surprised me that there was nothing he could have yeah, and that's I, I do think so. Okay, so I said this was good police work. Mm-hmm. So let's go go back to that. Like I honestly believe, in terms of being a police officer and investigating things, eighty ninety percent of it is spending the time to do the legwork mm-hmm. to figure out who somebody is. And yeah. so we have two officers that are represented in this series, mm-hmm. and they did just that. Yeah, they spent the time. Um, you know, tracking this person down. Right. I think he said, so we didn't mention this yet, but the caller was using prepaid calling cards. Right. And, and that was new mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. And so tracking wise, it wasn't as simple as a normal phone number to try mm-hmm. to find where it was coming from. And so I think it was Sergeant 
Clarity. Clarity. He spent hours on the phone with AT&T trying to get them to help him track these calling cards. Mm-hmm. And he I, he makes a kind of a jokey comment of like, I was talking to so-and-so from AT&T more than I was talking yeah. to my wife at the time. Yeah. So just that legwork of like, no one wants to sit on hold for 30 minutes multiple times a day. Right. And so here, I'm guessing he was from a smaller agency, mm-hmm. had the time to do something like that. And so it, it to me, there's, again, there's just an example here of, I think vast majority of these police departments probably took a police report and never did anything with it. They didn't know that this was going on all over the country. You know, to a certain extent, they're like, okay, this is a prank. A smart person should know this is a prank. Um, But then you got the guys that are like, no, I'm going to do something with this. What Mm -hmm. happened to our victim is not right. I'm going to get them justice. And so they do uh, a lot of legwork to identify who who their, uh, their, their suspect is. And again... I don't think there's anything about what they did in doing that that is makes you a super cop. Like, again, it's just sort of that doing what you can logically do right. and go, I'm going to start connecting this to somebody. And so they get this guy narrowed down uh, to uh, Panama City. Mm-hmm. And, and I forget, how did they come about? Uh, oh, so, so they, the, the, the calling cards are bought – at a Walmart. At a Walmart. Yes. And so then he does the legwork of getting the video and connecting those purchases. Right. And can see that person. Yeah. Well, and he, so when they initially got the footage from the Walmart, the way that the Walmart footage worked was it was like 30 seconds here, 30 seconds in this part of the store, 30 seconds in this part of the store. And so, the, uh, he was sitting there watching footage that like wasn't even yeah. that beneficial. And then there was something that happened with Detective Stump, like when they got connected, that clued him in of like, oh, this is what we need to get from Walmart. Yeah. And and so basically they end up getting surveillance. Yeah. Um from the registers and the entrance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 clearly they can this person is he's fairly tall. He's got some distinct um, but they discover that he's wearing a police uniform mm-hmm. in one of them, and it actually ends up being uh, corrections officer uniform. And, and there's so there's three jails kind of in the vicinity of mm-hmm. Panama City, and so they go uh, to these three different um, three different correctional facilities to see if anybody recognizes this guy. And the second one that they go to, they discover that somebody does recognize him and not mm-hmm. only do they recognize him, but he's on duty. Right. And so this is where kind of that, for me, this is where coming in where being a good cop comes in mm-hmm. is they went to these three jails to see if they identify, could identify this person. And then it was like, they had no plan for what to do when they had the person, once they identified him. Yeah. So when they learn that he is actually working at the jail, they take the opportunity to interview him. Mm-hmm. And even in that, I don't totally think they were prepared to talk to him because yeah. I feel like on the front end, you know, you have a correctional person that is doing this. They should have had some inclination that this person knew how the system worked. Yeah. And how, and so I think they could have, and again, 
this is hindsight being 2020, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But again, I was a little bit shocked that they went into this to identify this guy. Then they find the guy and then they're like, uh, what do we do? Yeah. Because the other thing is, is even if he had not been working, we know how workplaces work. We know how police departments work and jails work in that if somebody shows up, if a cop shows up to your workplace and mm-hmm. is trying to identify you, yeah, I don't care who it is, that is going to get back to you. Right. And they weren't prepared for that either of because mm-hmm. they're like, okay, we got him identified. And so they tried to interview him. Mm-hmm. And I think their approach should have been on a much more, hey, we're up here. Uh, this is what we got. We're hoping that you can help us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I think they went kind of more on the interrogation. Right. Talking about him sweating and being mm-hmm. nervous. And I think they were just so excited that they had the guy right. and that he was showing signs of being nervous that they just kind of went on the attack Yeah, and he shut down. Yeah. So he confesses to nothing. Right. Uh, I think he utters the phrase, oh, it's finally over, yeah. which that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not going to get him convicted. So, um, so yeah, that was, that was my one thought of, you know, that kind of 80 to 90% of is just doing legwork. And then there is that 10 to 20% of having experience and thinking through what you're going to mm-hmm. do and what your approach is. And so they do uh, serve a search warrant on his house. Yeah. And did they find any evidence in his house? They found prepaid calling cards. Yeah, prepaid calling cards. And I don't know. Again, we can only go off of what um, the docuseries shares with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm guessing they should be able to tie those cards to calls made right. to those people. And I don't remember them going I into that detail. I don't think they did detail. either, yeah. Now, they went into, they kind of make these comments of like, you've got a solid case, you know, talking to other law enforcement, getting, and all that kind of stuff. But we never get that, uh, we never get that much information Um from from the docuseries. Uh, the other thing that they did is they look at his work schedule. Mm-hmm. And do you remember what? I struggled to follow that part <laughs> a little bit. But he was like off on the days that he was making the calls, right? So or- basically what their point, what, what they're trying to prove is, is, is if he had been at work when one of those calls would made. It would have ruled him out. It would have ruled him out. Yeah. And so, you know, I've mentioned that before, that as much as you're trying to find your suspect, you're trying to rule him out. And so... Mm-hmm. When you get to that point of going, okay, this call was made on this date, he's off. When this call was made, he's, he's off. off. Yeah. And so, you know, clearly um, that helps their case. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't prove anything. Right. And this is really one of those where they, I think they needed a confession mm-hmm. uh, to get this because... Um, I don't think there's any recordings Mm-mm. of any yeah. of these calls. So you couldn't like, you know, right. uh, him buying the cards is, is, is purely um, circumstantial to an extent. Yeah. Um, him being off doesn't prove uh, that he did it. And so mm-hmm. they were really dependent on a, conf- uh, a confession, uh, which they did not get. Right. So unfortunately, yeah. You mentioned this already. The, the standard in court is beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. And I don't think these officers were bad officers. 
but the one guy makes a comment of he had never gotten a not guilty verdict. Yeah. And I was a little bit like, okay, then what kind of cases <laughs> were you right. trying? Well, and you mentioned this earlier. They were both from pretty small yeah. departments. Yeah. And so probably the cases they were seeing. They would have had enough. Yeah. To get a conviction. And so when you start going across state lines, things happen, you know, it's difficult to to prove that somebody picked up a phone mm-hmm. and made a phone call. Um, well, and also he was doing all of these from pay phones. Yes. So that's another, like they couldn't, you probably can't track a pay phone as easy if you, as you could if you were calling from a home phone or cell phone or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought, if they could have identified those phone call, the, the 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 phones that he mm-hmm. was using, mm-hmm. um, then you could do an area canvas and see if there's any video that would have caught him making those yeah. phone calls. Uh, the other thing is, is I'm guessing they could have, um, and and again, this is like it would be it would be tough, and it would require a lot of legwork, and it would require uh, doing things in a jurisdiction where you're not necessarily. Mm-hmm. An officer, but you know, um, it was her store that a clerk may have seen him on a regular basis, right? That sort of a thing. Uh, but this, yeah. So, on the flip side of all of this, back to my original question to you of why would maybe the police not done this is if you do the job long enough, you end up in a situation where you have put a lot of legwork in, done a lot of investigating, done everything that you thought you could have done only for somebody to to get mm. a not guilty verdict. And it starts to become frustrating. Yeah. It starts to wear you down because you're like, why do I put all this work into it? Yeah. For one, either the person to be found not guilty or they get a sentence that really, it doesn't do justice yeah. for, for the work uh, that you had put into it. Yeah. So. Uh, any other thoughts on this particular series, this topic, this? No, it's no. just crazy to me that like it's, it is hard to wrap my head around that this could have been happening for so long. And well, and, and, and even on that note, what like initially possessed this guy to go, I'm going to pick up the phone yeah, and see if I can get somebody to do it. And like, what was his, like, was he getting off on this? Like was, that's what I was like. Because he can't see anything. Right, yeah. So it's like, what is, yeah, what is the motive for him to do this? But, you know, I, I did just think when they did the house search for him, they found, um, like, notebooks of him from, like, ride-alongs. Like, he so badly wanted to be a police officer. Yeah. And wasn't for whatever reason. And so... Part of me is like, I wonder if that was like, he just wanted something to be able to pretend for a little bit, but then why did you have to take it that to that extreme? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I I do. I think he wanted the authority. And so he, he got off on the authority. Yeah. Uh, The other thing I don't think we touched on is this guy, you know, while he was, he wanted to be a cop and had cop stuff all over his house. And that was kind of, you know, that's always a red flag. Like, and I'm not saying if you're a cop and you have stuff that like we do, but I don't think you would walk into my house and immediately go, 
no. <laughs> You're no. a police officer. Um, but, but, but so what he had around his house, it was kind of spread out. There was, there was um, indicators that this was a bit of an obsession to him. Yes. But what we didn't talk about is he was married with kids. Oh, yeah. So it's not like he was a loner that was holed right. up didn't have any friends because he was also well-liked. Yeah. They mentioned that it was very difficult for to get anybody to say anything bad. Yes, yeah. About him. Yep. And so I found that very interesting as well. That Yeah. Which, like, kind of seems to be a theme mm-hmm. with some of these people that we've talked about. Of Like, you know, Berdella was someone who, you know, people might have said he was odd, but he was also really quick to help people yeah. like he was housing people and you know it turned sour but same with um like I think of like Ted Bundy mm-hmm. he had this like charm to him that um I think until after the fact you like wouldn't have thought twice about his I mean I can't speak for sure because right whatever but yeah that just seems to be a trait about it's easier for them to get. They're they're leading a double life where yeah yeah they're very good at not being suspected of doing mm-hmm. these kind of things. And I would I would certainly say that there you know there are criminals that, that do that that know I I'm a contributing member of society. Mm-hmm. I am well liked. I have a social network, and they kind of know if they ever do get caught, that's going to be one of the things that they hide behind. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that there's a lot going on that we just don't even (laughs) begin to know about. So, all right. Well, I think this brings us to the end of episode 10. So we appreciate, uh, you listening and, um, I don't know, are we, do we need to start putting out there that if people want to let us know what they want us to talk about? Yeah. Uh, we have a couple of suggestions from a follower. Oh, okay. Um, like the kind we'd kind of go back to the local to Kansas Mm -hmm. piece. Um, so we'll start there, but yeah, if you guys have any suggestions of, and and we're on Instagram, we're on Instagram. And what is, what is it? What are we on Instagram? Do you know off the top of your head? You're not going to be able to remember. It's cop and daughter. Okay. Um, but I have to try to remember the, how I made the like handle or whatever. Yeah. It's just cop. And daughter, all one word, okay. all spelled out, um, purple and black, C and D in the profile picture. <laughs> so, all right. So check us out on Instagram if you haven't done that, and that's a good place for people to. Yep, shoot us a message and let us know what you'd like to hear. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Cop and I'm Daughter. Stay safe. Find him. We should know for you. You may find this footage disturbing.